This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash free books to download this book in PDF format. By This Standard The Authority of God's Law Today by Greg L. Bonson Published by the Institute for Christian Economics, Tyler, Texas Copyright 1985 Conclusion Chapter 31 The Authority of God's Law Today Quote, the question is this, by what standard are moral judgments to be made? How do we determine in any particular case what godliness requires of me or my society? End quote. There has been much more to the study of Christian ethics than has been discussed in this book. There are foundational issues about the perception and production of godliness in ourselves and in our society which have not been touched. Nearly all of the specific moral questions which surround us have been given no applied answer. A lot has been left unsaid, and a lot more study is required. Nevertheless, the issue addressed by this book is systematically basic to Christian ethical reasoning. It asks a question which is impossible to avoid, and which influences every other aspect of one's ethical theory. People may not reflect explicitly upon the question, and people may not answer it well. But everyone proceeds upon some answer or another to that inevitable question in Christian ethics. The question is this, by what standard are moral judgments to be made? How do we determine in any particular case what godliness requires of me or my society? Other questions may be interesting and even important, but the Christian ethics, which is itself a reflection of the Christian faith, cannot be cogently developed and practically employed without an answer to the question of criteria. How should we live? What must we do? What kind of people should we be? It all depends upon the standard we use. Better, it all depends upon the standard that God himself uses for judging good and evil. If we would know the divine norms of righteousness, then Christian ethics will naturally depend upon God's self-revelation and the proper understanding of his word. Has his word been correctly interpreted by those who, quote, turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness, end quote? and argue that we may, quote, continue in sin that grace may abound, end quote. Not at all. Jude 4, Romans 6, verse 1 and 2. There should be no doubt whatsoever about the premise that New Testament believers, those who have experienced the grace of God, must live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, being zealous of good works. Titus 2, 11 and 14. God's grace has created us in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2, 8-10 The New Testament does not eliminate the call for holiness. 1 Peter 1, 15 Saving faith must be a living, active, and working faith. James 2, verses 14-26 Therefore we can assert it as beyond question that those who love the Savior must demonstrate lives characterized by obedience. Hebrews 5, 9 and John 14, 15 Should this obedience extend to the Old Testament? Should those saved by grace have anything at all to do with God's law? And if they should, can the Old Testament commandment still be the standard of moral obligation for society and the state as well? If Christian ethics cannot avoid answering the normative question, as claimed above, then Christian ethics will eventually be forced to answer these questions of biblical interpretation as well. The disturbing thing is that so many Christian teachers and writers answer them without sufficient biblical proof or concern for consistency. 
It is as though personal feeling gives them a conclusion from the outset for which they subsequently seek some kind of reason. Many Christians will just take the word of such respected teachers for granted on these matters, only later to find, upon reflection and examination, that their teachers had not been thinking clearly about the issues involved at all. The many negative opinions about the law of God as a standard for Christian obedience in our day represent a setback from the theological insights of past generations of Christian scholarship, notably the tradition of the Puritans and the Westminster Standards. What is taken for granted today as the common and obvious answer to whether we should obey the Old Testament in modern civil affairs, for instance, did not always enjoy that status in the eyes of the earlier Christians. The winds of common opinion have shifted. Why? Has some radical new turn or discovery in Christian scholarship, some brilliant exegesis and persuasive reasoning, intervened between the Puritan age and our own today so as to account for this shift in widespread sentiment about the use of God's law in the Christian life? If so, it is hard to point to just what it might have been. It has rather changed social circumstances and opinions, not advances in scholarship which have brought about the difference. But the word of the Lord abides forever. 1 Peter 1.25 and Isaiah 40 verse 8. If our Reformed and Puritan forefathers were basically correct in their approach to the Old Testament law of God, as I believe, then the truth of that position is still discernible in the objective revelation of God's word, even if it is an unpopular truth in a secularized age. Whether congenial to popular opinion today or not, the conclusions to which we have been driven in our study of God's unchanging word indicate that the standard by which Christians should live is not restricted to the New Testament, but includes the law of God revealed in the Old Testament. Scripture cannot be broken. John 10.35 With God there can be no variation, neither shadow that is cast by turning. James 1.17 our studies have pointed to the conclusion that New Testament believers ought to maintain a pronomian rather than antinomian attitude. They should seek to purge themselves of autonomous ethical reasoning in favor of a theonomic approach to moral issues. They should presume that the commandments revealed by God in the Old Testament are definitive of righteous living for themselves and their society, being careful not to speak against the law and judge it. James 4.11 those who teach that we may break even the least commandment in the law and prophets will be least within the kingdom of God. Matthew 5.19 The theonomic and pronomian approach which we have taken in this book to the normative questions about Christian living in the Old Testament law is conveniently summarized in the following ten theses. 1. Since the fall, it has always been unlawful to use the law of God in hopes of establishing one's own personal merit and justification, in contrast or complement to salvation by way of promise and faith. Commitment to obedience is but the lifestyle of faith, a token of gratitude for God's redeeming grace. 2. The word of the Lord is the sole, supreme, and unchallengeable standard for the actions and attitudes of all men in all areas of life. This word naturally includes God's moral directives. Law. 3. Our obligation to keep the law of God cannot be judged by any extra-scriptural standard, such as whether its specific requirements, when properly interpreted, are congenial to past traditions or modern feelings and practices. 4. We should presume that Old Testament standing laws continue to be morally binding in the New Testament, unless they are rescinded or modified by further revelation. 5. In regard to the Old Testament law, the New Covenant surpasses the Old Covenant in glory, power, and finality, 
thus reinforcing former duties. The new covenant also supersedes the old covenant shadows, thereby changing the application of sacrificial, purity, and separation principles, redefining the people of God and altering the significance of the promised land. 6. God's revealed standing laws are a reflection of his immutable moral character and, as such, are absolute in the sense of being non-arbitrary, objective, universal, and established in advance of particular circumstances, thus applicable to general types of moral situations. 7. Christian involvement in politics calls for recognition of God's transcendent, absolute, revealed law as a standard by which to judge all social codes. 8. Civil magistrates in all ages and places are obligated to conduct their offices as ministers of God, avenging divine wrath against criminals and giving an account on the final day of their service before the King of Kings and the Creator and Judge. 9. The general continuity, which we presume with respect to the moral standards of the Old Testament, applies just as legitimately to matters of socio-political ethics as it does to personal, family, or ecclesiastical ethics. 10. The civil precepts of the Old Testament, standing judicial laws, are a model of perfect social justice for all cultures, even in the punishment of criminals. These propositions highlight the essential points and distinctive features of the position developed in this book. The precious truth of salvation by grace alone, number one, is the context within which every other thesis is developed and understood. Theonomic ethics is committed to developing an overall Christian world and life view. Number two, according to the regulating principle of sola scriptura. Number three, and the hermeneutic of covenant theology. Number four, the new and better covenant established by Christ does offer biblical warrant for recognizing changes in covenantal administration. Number five, but not changes in moral standards, lest the divinely revealed ethic be reduced to situationism or relativism, just one tribal perspective among many in an evolutionary history of ethics. Number six. Righteousness and justice, according to biblical teaching, have a universal character, precluding any double standard of morality. Theonomic ethics likewise rejects legal positivism and maintains that there is law above the civil law, to which appeal can be made against the tyranny of rulers and the anarchy of overzealous reformers alike. Number seven. Since Jesus Christ is Lord over all, Civil magistrates are his servants and owe obedience to his revealed standards for them. Number eight. There is no biblically based jurisdiction for exempting civil authorities from responsibility to the universal standards of justice found in God's Old Testament revelation. Three. Therefore, in the absence of biblically grounded argumentation which releases the civil magistrate from Old Testament social norms, number four and five, it follows from our previous premises that in the exercise of their offices, rulers are morally responsible to obey the revealed standards of social justice in the Old Testament law. Number 10. In light of the theses leading up to it, the above conclusion does not seem so controversial after all. It makes perfectly good ethical sense for a Christian. Besides, that conclusion has a great deal of practical value in our day. It is not accidental that the glaring socio-political and criminal problems of the late 20th century concern matters where our society has turned against the specific directives of God's law. Humanism has been taught in our schools and media. It has been practiced in economics, medicine, politics, and our courts. And the results have been a social disaster. Human life is treated as cheap. Sexual purity is an outdated concept. 
truth and honesty have little place in the real world of business or politics. Repeat offenders and crimes which go completely unpunished belittle the criminal justice system. Prison reform is desperately needed. In short, humanism has proven its ineffectiveness in case after case. Where can we turn for socio-political wisdom which can effectively counter the degeneration and disintegration of our culture? The only acceptable answer will be to turn to God's directives for social justice, and those are, for the most part, found in the Old Testament commandments to Israel as a nation, a nation facing the same moral problems about life, sex, property, and truth which all nations must face, including our own. Christians who claim that our ethical standards are restricted to the New Testament cannot, if consistent, deal with the full range of moral issues in our day. Ask them whether it is now immoral to have sexual relations with animals. They will gasp at the thought, but find nothing forbidding it in the New Testament scriptures. At best, they can say fornication is condemned, only thereby presupposing what they originally denied, namely that New Testament morality is identical with the standards of the Old Testament, in which case fornication applies to the same outlawed acts in both dispensations. Ask them whether it is now immoral for a woman to marry her father. They may say yes, but they will not find that specific case of incest dealt with in the New Testament scriptures. Ask them whether rape is a punishable crime. Again, no New Testament directive covers it. Ask them what the equitable punishment should be for rape. No New Testament answer. Ask them whether they can even show that murder should be a capital crime today. Once more, they will find no specific New Testament answer to that question, despite the fact that many conservative believers assume that it is there. It becomes ever so clear that it is easy to say one holds only to New Testament ethics, but nearly impossible to systematically and consistently maintain that position. In actual fact, Christians do not find it a workable policy to follow, departing from that espoused position whenever it seems convenient or necessary to do so. But that simply opens the door to arbitrariness. The preceding book has attempted to provide a principled, systematic, and consistent approach to the question of whether and how the Old Testament law constitutes a standard for making moral decisions today. This audio version of By This Standard by Greg Bonson has been produced by Reconstructionist Radio and narrated by Shane Peterson. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash free books to download this book in PDF format. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.